It's Radio Free 501C, the voice of Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm Cecilia Sepp, your host. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on all your favorite podcast services, and you don't want to miss an episode. This week, I'm welcoming first-time guest Gail Kalp, CAE, who's the executive director of the Toe Foundation. We're going to be discussing the endless search for program funding. We take a trip up and down the Mississippi and the Susquehanna. Welcome to episode 196 on our countdown to 200. Hey everybody, it's Monday, May 15th, and that means it's time for another episode of Radio Free 501C. I'm your host, Cecilia Sepp. I'm the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips Consulting, and thanks for joining us this week. To our global audience, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be. This week, I'm really excited to have a first-time guest, Gail Culp from the CETO Foundation, and we're going to be discussing the endless search for program funding, which is something I think all nonprofits need to worry about. But before we dive into the content and the conversation, I'd like to welcome you, Gail. Uh, Thanks for joining me. And would you like to say hello to the audience and tell us a little about yourself? Sure thing, Cecilia. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited about it. Um, I have been the executive director of the CETO Foundation since 2010, with the exception of just a couple years off that I worked locally um, in my community and uh, then came back in 2015. So I've been here for a long time. Wow. Well, that's great. So it sounds like you know a lot about the CETO Foundation and what it does. So let's start with that. What does the CETO Foundation do? Well, the CTO Foundation is a nonprofit 501c3, and uh, we were founded in 2007 by our for-profit parent company known as CTO Services International, or CTO for short. Um, CTO is the on-water assistance and towing service for boats, for recreational boats, in fact. So if you ever have any trouble on the water, if your boat breaks down or you run out of gas or your battery needs to be jumped, CTO is the group to call. Uh, the CETO Foundation, on the other hand, was started to provide education, tools, and resources to help boaters prevent boating accidents and fatalities. So our founder, who uh, is Captain Joe, um, he was continuously seeing uh, boating accidents, and we knew that there was a way to solve all that problem. So he created the CETO Foundation and he really wanted to make sure that boaters could find a way to be safe and have fun on the water. And now we're doing that in honor of his legacy. So although those two organizations are separate, CETO and the CETO Foundation, um, that's something that a lot of people get confused about. Well, and I and I think that would be understandable since the names are so similar, uh, but to our audience, the CETO Foundation uh, is what we're here to talk about today and all the wonderful programs they do. I am a person who drives a car and also likes to drive a boat from time to time. So I take both pretty seriously and try to follow the rules of the road and the water. So what are some of the kind of education programs that the CETO Foundation offers And those would be the starting point for the conversation about where do we find funding? Sure. So we actually have a number of programs that we've had. Um, Our longest running one is our Life Jacket Loaner Program. And I've got a stand behind me as an example. And we started that back in 2008. So just when we were a year old. And it's a way to provide life jackets that boaters can borrow and return at no charge at over 1,300 locations across the country. 
So we're now considered the world's largest life jacket loaner program, which is pretty awesome. Uh, we have them in all 50 states, as well as DC and two of the territories. And like I said, it's completely free. So we have groups that are businesses along the water. We have community groups, we have organizations, um, even volunteers who set up life jacket loaner stations along popular waterways. And we provide the life jackets and the stand building kits to them. That's an incredible service because I, again, think a lot of people don't realize you really need to have those around because if you need one, you really need one. Yeah. And so how do you, this is just a curiosity from kind of a tactical management point. Um, how do you make sure you get the life jackets back? Well, all of them have logos and wording across the back that says borrow and return property of Life Jacket Loaner Program, has the Coast Guard grant logo on it because we get grant funding from the Coast Guard and also our logo on it. Um, plus they're bright yellow. So they kind of <laughs> stick out um, versus a lot of the life jackets that you find in the stores are red or blue or green. Um, so they're, they're not the normal life jacket that you would see. So it's pretty obvious if somebody has them for longer term. Um, but we also make sure that we put them in places where a lot of people are going around um, for boating, but also a lot of people can kind of keep an eye on it. We don't require anybody to be there in terms of like a library signing them out and signing them in. Um, it's on an honor service, but we do want to make sure that a lot people can kind of keep their eye on them. Well, and, and that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And, but I was thinking it's such a generous program. Uh, I, I would hope everybody does return their life jacket when they're done using it. And you definitely do. That's we great. We lose about 10% a year. That's really good when you yeah. consider how widespread your program is. And we uh, have over 100,000 life jackets at this point that are out um, or have been purchased since the program started. And they're from infant through adults, extra large. So we have all the sizes covered. Doesn't matter what size you are or age you are. You can go boating safely. And you can get, so, and you didn't mention it, but as we were prepping for the episode, you and I were talking about our pets and we both have dogs. Uh, do you offer pet life jackets at all? A few of our stands do, um, but when we have looked, and this will go with the rest of the, the topic with funding. Um, so our main funder for our life jacket loaner program is the Coast Guard. And uh, when we approached the Coast Guard about pet life jackets, they jokingly said, when we solve the problem of all humans drowning, then we'll go for pets next. Oh, I so see. that was their nice way of saying probably not. Um, but we also <laughs> approached a lot of pet food manufacturers and pet toy manufacturers. Um, and a lot of them prefer to donate their money or services to groups that um, do uh like ASPCAs and shelters and rescue pets and things like that. So we understood um, and we just have not found the correct donor or sponsor for pet life jackets. We do have some stands that do have pet life jackets. That's something that other people have purchased and added to the stand, but we do not have our own life jackets for pets. Well, you know, that's a shame because I think it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the pet industry. I think somebody from the boating industry Oh yeah, really make a splash, as they say, by uh, providing those pet life jackets. And I can give a testimonial pet life jackets work because yeah. we had a dog before the two we have now, and he had a doggy life jacket. And because we have a two person raft that we take out sometimes and he fell in the water 
because uh, he was barking at a goose and we were able to rescue him because he had a life jacket on yep. and he exploded. So uh, folks, if you have a pet and you take them on your boat, invest in a pet life jacket because they do work. Definitely. So, well, and that's really interesting though, bringing it back to our topic of the endless search for program funding. Yeah. You had mentioned you went to a specific industry and they said, well, you know, no, we like to focus on pet uh, services and, and pet groups, but what other kind of groups besides the Coast Guard, you said you get a lot of major support from them. What other kind of groups uh, help support the CETO Foundation? Well, we get um, some state grants as well. So we've gotten grants from both state and regional uh, organizations and some private foundations as well. So kind of a combination thereof. And then the sponsorships have ranged from boat manufacturers um, like Yamaha to um, others, uh, even in just the general um, public. So it's been really great. We've had uh, boat companies like Freedom Boat Club be a sponsor. They are um, a great way to rent a boat, but mm -hmm. also kind of own it at the same time. So we call it fractional ownership. So you buy into a Freedom Boat Club, and then anytime you want to go boating, there's a boat available for you. You can go all around the country, all around the world, in fact, and they have boats available. Um, and you can choose one week you might want to take out a pontoon boat, another week you might want to take out a fishing boat. And so you can choose whichever kind of boat you want. It's always fueled up, ready to go, clean at the dock. So it's it's all the fun of owning a boat without having to pay the maintenance fees and the gas and all of the other things. Oh my goodness. And then isn't there a fee for uh, docking it? Yep. Slip fee that I yes. think that's yep. called. Slipper Marina. Yep. Yeah. Wow. That, that is a really cool program. I, There's you, other companies like them as well, but the uh, Freedom Boat Club is one of our sponsors too. So how do you manage it? So do you also, you know, I haven't asked you, how big is your staff? Our staff is two. Okay. Me and one other. So I'm assuming then you handle a lot of the fundraising management? I do. Yes. Okay. So we, uh, we're a nationwide organization, yet with just two people, we can't be in everywhere, every time, all at once. So we rely a lot on our uh, partners and volunteers that work with us. So like with our Life Jacket Loaner program, we have groups that volunteer to host and maintain those Life Jacket Loaner stations. And then sometimes they're a host and then they have other groups that help them maintain it. So there might be multiple layers of volunteers. There might be a head volunteer and then a group, um, for instance, like a Boy Scout group. Mm -hmm. um, so a company might sponsor a station, they might set it up, they might get the grant from us or they might go ahead and sponsor it and pay for it so that they get their logos on the life jackets as well and then from there they might have boy scout troop and a local civic group like a kiwanis or something that helps maintain the stand that's really a great service uh activity i i know here where i live in maryland the high school students need to have a community service credit yep. yeah so same a lot of places too so that sounds like that would be a great thing to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we can sign off paperwork for them um, or the group that's helping with the main hosting of the stand can sign off the paperwork, too. So it's a great way to kind of get help, but also they get the hours they need. 
And that is a great program, but you also shared with me another program that I think is really important to share. And, and that is the Sober Skipper campaign. Uh, yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that one? This, our Sober Skipper campaign is our second oldest program. It's been around since 2005, and it's our proactive positive campaign that encourages boaters to be or designate a sober skipper before they head out on the water. So it's our efforts to eliminate boating under the influence accidents. Very much modeled after MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. So back in the 80s, when they got started, there wasn't Ubers, there wasn't Lyfts, there, there weren't taxis in a lot of areas if you didn't live in the main cities. So you, you had to find a way that you could have a designated driver. And they came up with this concept of the designated driver. And now everybody knows what that is. You don't even have to define it. And why can't that concept go to boats as well? Because you're operating a machine that has an engine and you should be the sober skipper if you are operating that boat. So you should know how to operate that boat and you should take care of everybody else in the boat plus operating the boat as the sober skipper. And so that's what our campaign's all about. And alcohol is the leading cause of death according to the Coast Guard, but it's 100% preventable. So all you have to do is make sure that one of the people on the boat is the sober skipper and stays at the helm the whole time. And we have little wristbands and we also have little floating keychains that we have as giveaways to help people remember like, hey, you're the, you're the sober skipper this week. You've got the keychain. <laughs> You've got the key. That's great. So, and do you get support for that program as well? Yes, we have gotten grant funding for that through the Coast Guard. Um, we've also gotten private donations as well as sponsorships. So we've gotten it from some alcohol companies. So we've branched out of the boating world and gone to the alcohol companies and they've been happy to do that. There's many alcohol companies that have um, responsibility dollars or different corporate responsibility efforts that they have to do. So um, as part of selling alcohol, they want to be able to give back. So they've done things like provided life jacket loaner stations um, as a way to give back. And we've kept Sober Skipper message with it, but their logo is on the back of the adult size life jacket. So we don't have their logo on the kid size because we don't want to mix the message with alcohol and kids, oh, but the adult size <laughs> life jackets has their logos. So it's really cool. You know, that's really, uh, I'm sorry, it's kind of funny about the kids because I was also thinking, you also don't want like a five-year-old driving the boat anyway. Oh, no. no. <laughs> yeah, well, we always say that the sober skipper needs to be a qualified boat operator. So they should actually, one, be legally allowed to operate the boat in that state, but also know how to operate the boat. And that and that's key, I think. Knowing mm -hmm. that so no wonder the Coast Guard is such a big supporter of the CETO Foundation, because yeah. those are two areas I know that they are really uh, passionate about promoting yeah. and educating people about. So I'd like to uh, steer the conversation toward more the the practical aspects of fundraising, you yeah. know, the endless search for program funding which is key, especially for a group like yours, because yeah. that you don't have members or foundation. So mm -hmm. people donate money or give you grants, or maybe they'll give you a sponsorship. So how do you balance that? Do you have, do you try to have a mix of all of those? Or is there one that you focus on more than the others? Well, the one that funds us the most is grants. So I try to focus on all of them, but our primary funding is grants. So um, as I joke, as soon as you get the grant, 
you're on the path to writing the next grant. So it's that never ending endless search, just continuing that drumbeat going. And it doesn't matter if it's federal grants, state grants, regional grants, um, doesn't matter. So we want to make sure that we're always looking for that next uh, source of money and can't kick the can down the road or else you might not be open the next year. Right. And, you know, that's interesting that, that you focused on grants. It makes a lot of sense. And I know a lot of other nonprofit organizations are interested in grants or grant writing. So one question I have for you is once you get a grant, let's say you get a state grant, mm -hmm. do you feel or find from your experience that you will get that grant again if you apply the next year or do you do you see them shifting it around? Um. It depends. I worked for a Greenways and Trails organization, and we did a lot of state grants with that group. And there were some that was almost as if the grant had written itself for us. We just had to fill in the blanks. So there were some that it was, we want a group that can do this project. And it was like, well, we're the only ones that do that kind of project. So <laughs> it made sense. Um, but there's other times where even with the federal grants, they'll put out a call for grants that focus on a specific aspect of boating safety. And if you can do it, you write for it. And there's also, there's probably 16 of us in the nonprofit boating world. Um, so there's competition and you don't know if they'll fund multiple programs that reach this audience, but in different ways, or if they'll only fund one of us. So we just don't know. Wow, that's well, and I I think that is something uh, people don't realize how competitive grants are, mm -hmm. and why it's so important to have a good grant writer or to become very good at writing grants. Uh, so, do you do your own grant writing? Yes, yes. I had some wonderful mentors in the grant writing world. Um, I started at another nonprofit called the National Association of State Boating Law Administrators, or NASBLA for short. And uh, my mentors slash executive director and boss there um, really helped me learn how to write grants. So I cut my teeth there and was with them for six years, loved it, uh, and then moved on to the CETO Foundation. So I stayed in the boating world. I just, the quote unquote, jumped ship <laughs> from one <laughs> to another. And now I'm here. Oh, I love that. Uh, so, it, okay, that just leads me to another question. It's not quite on point with our topic, but do you own your own boat? I own a kayak. So where I live, I live in Pennsylvania and the Susquehanna River is the longest non-navigable river in the world. And oh. it has shoals, dams, or rocks every two to seven miles, pretty much the entire 444 miles of river. And so it's, there are people that own powerboats on it, but I'm not interested in, in doing powerboat circles. And that's basically what you have to do when you only have two to seven miles of river. And there's a, a tourist paddle wheel boat in our town and they take uh, cruises during the day and at night for people that wanna have a, a tour of the area or listen to a band if it's a night cruise, but they only go about four miles and they go really slow. And then they just turn around and come right back. <laughs> But you don't know, especially at night, you don't know what's going on. 
you just, hey, there's bonfires out there. Oh, wait, we're seeing the bonfires again, but from the other side. It's the same bonfire. You know, that's so interesting. I did not know that about the Susquehanna River. Yeah, it flows into the Chesapeake Bay. So it starts up in New York, up near Cooperstown, and -hmm. comes down and then goes into the Chesapeake Bay. But it's really not navigable, at least anymore. I I think at one point it was because they used it as transportation for the logs, um, for the logging industry. Oh, right. Okay. And so at one point there was, but they've created so many dams so that they could stop the logs and then load them onto trains Mm -hmm. that now we just have all these dams and rocks in the way. And so you can't, oh, that's so interesting. Well, I grew up next to the mighty Mississippi uh, back in St. Louis. And so- That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, and it is mighty. It is uh, uh, inspiring in the best sense of the word. Being on the water, you know, something important to me uh, because I enjoy it. And so knowing the CETO Foundation is out there educating people and finding that important funding. So we've, we've talked a little bit about grants that fund your education programs. And you also said you have sponsorships and donations. So so after grants, what would be your next uh, biggest way to get the resources to support your programs? Donations. Um, and something I came up with when we were, when I was first starting with CETO Foundation in 2010, was that when CETO members for the for-profit become members, they were never asked to make a donation to us. And So I said, well, I had read a book and I can't remember the name of the book off the top of my head, but it had something to do with McDonald's and McDonald's raised so much more money because they simply asked, would you like to supersize it? And I was like, well, why don't we just ask? So we started having, there's a 24 seven call center for CETO. So anytime you need help on the water, 24 seven, 365, you can call 1-800-4-CETO and they'll help you out. But we started adding to the script just a 15 second little, hey, would you make a donation to the nonprofit CETO Foundation for boating safety and education? And people actually were saying yes. And so that first year we went and like gangbusters raised a bunch of money. And I mean, we're talking like four or five dollars at a time. We're not talking huge amounts. Some people only donated a dollar, but we made like sixty thousand dollars that first year. And that was just wow, by simply asking, we made money and we were able to do so much more. So there's been years that we've been able to buy extra life jackets with the donations. And we'll have those life jackets instead of the Coast Guard logo on the back, we'll have funded by CETO members like you or something like that on the back. That is great. Uh, you know, the the power of the question, it's yeah. amazing. It, it, you, if you ask, many times you get, but if you, you're not going to get, if you don't even ask. And there's so. so many companies that ask, will you round up? Like even when I'm grocery shopping, would you round up to the next whole dollar for the food bank or whatever? So it, it's, people have gotten used to that question and now it's not a big deal to be asked. But at the beginning it was, wow, we can do that. <laughs> Let's try it. <laughs> You know, and I guess, you know, building on that, I I guess I didn't realize that was McDonald's kind of set that trend uh, originally, because I guess that goes to the question, do you want fries with that? Yes. Yep. So do you want want fries with that? (laughs) You know, okay. Dessert. (laughs) Would you like dessert? Uh, I guess that's kind of what Amazon built on because, you know, you'll look at a product and they'll say, well, 
people looked at this these other products yeah people also bought these things yeah (laughs) so it's like well would you like this too and sometimes I you know sometimes I succumb and say yes I I try to be very disciplined and no thank you I'll just buy the one thing I wanted to buy and be on my way but uh yeah it's it's hard to say no sometimes (laughs) I know but especially if they say you can save money or you know I think though asking people when they call the CTO company, mm-hmm. the services and say, oh, I, I'm out of gas and saying, yep. while you're sitting there waiting for us, would you like to make a donation mm-hmm. to help our education program? I think that's a great opportunity to do that because yeah. even one is for-profit and one is nonprofit. They do help people. They both help people. Yeah, uh, exactly. And again, the, our, the call center does not ask if it's actually a true emergency. If somebody is thinking, well, first of all, we tell them, make sure you're calling the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard is the emergency um, on water assistance help, but often the CETO captains are right there as well. So there are a few times where there is no ask for, for donations because we just know it's it's not the time. <laughs> but I would say something like a boat fire. We're not going to stop and say, well, wait a minute, get your fire extinguisher and while you've got it, go ahead. No, that's not, a, that's not a time to ask. By the way, would you like to give us $5? Uh, it's bringing it back though to this. So then, so we've talked about grants, we've talked about donations. So you also mentioned you work a lot with sponsors. Yes. So how does that work? Do you have like an official sponsorship program? Yes. So we have official sponsorship program with the different levels, you know, like gold, silver, bronze, mm-hmm. um, platinum. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the different levels and they can choose to sponsor, but we can also talk with companies and kind of make a, a special sponsorship package. So there's some that want just the generic package that we have um, where they would get mentioned in our newsletter, our e-newsletter, um, a logo on our website, uh, maybe a blog about you things like that. But there's other groups that may want something different. They may want to be able to use our logo on things, or they may want to do a promotion related to the Sober Skipper campaign and get the message out that they're promoting safe drinking and boating so that the boat operator is sober. Um, It just depends on the company. (laughs) And a lot of it is that constant search, that endless search for the right company, because you might reach out to a company. Um, for instance, I've reached out to an uh, outdoor com- store company, um, like a Bass Pro or Cabela's. They're actually now the same company. Um, and they have a foundation and they fund certain projects, but their projects didn't fit in with our projects. So they're looking for more of the encouraging youth to go outside and and be involved in the outdoors and um, conservation efforts, making sure that the outdoors stay clean. And those are great opportunities and great uh, programs. They're just not our programs. Other organizations like the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation, um, RBFF, they have a fantastic program that promotes um, safety as well as the fun of fishing. And they have a new campaign um, about getting women involved in fishing and how much fun it is, how liberating it is, how great it is to be out there. And they get that message out to a new audience that wouldn't have seen it otherwise. Well, and there's that uh, another group, takemefishing.org. That's them. RBFF is actually takemefishing.org. 
Okay, I was going. So to... their 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 corporate site is RBFF Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation. Their their customer focused site is Take Me Fishing, and then they also have a Spanish version that is Puedo. Uh, something it, it's in Spanish, but it's take me fishing in Spanish. I'm trying, okay. trying to think of the exact words. Well, and they also sponsor uh, one of the holes on Holy Moly, the game. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, Oh, a .org. I love seeing yeah. sponsorships. So, yeah. uh, but I, I just had always for years, I'd been familiar with take me fishing.org and just thought they were their own group. So mm -hmm. that's good to know. They're a program of a larger group. So, yeah. uh, so you have this uh, great three-pronged approach mm -hmm. to your fundraising. So how much of your time, at, like let's say out of the 100% of the time you work, how much of the time do you feel you spend working on the fundraising program? Looking for more funding, I would say probably only 10 to 15%. Mm -hmm. um, wish it could be more, but it just, it never actually ends up you think you think that you're going to put a whole day ahead to just say this is the only thing I'm going to do that day, and then two other things come in, and you know you're dealing with other stuff. Right. Um, but actually working the programs once we get the funding, making sure that we're doing the work that needs to be done for our sponsors, doing the work that needs to be done to keep our grants, um, doing the reporting, getting the projects finished, all of those kind of things. Those. Um, take up the most of my time. So that's a good thing at least. Um, but I wish I, I wish I could clone myself. So I had another, another few days that I could work on finding more funding. Well, and that's why I thought I should ask the question because you're a two person staff mm -hmm. and you also have to do all of the other things that you staff executive does like yeah. work with the board and probably manage a lot of communications and PR and things like that. And as you said, you have to actually manage the funds once they come in and make yep. sure the programs happen. Running. So mm -hmm. that, that is quite a lot. So the fact that you are able to raise so much money in just 10% of the time is awesome. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Beautiful. It's well, been a, a labor of love. And you know, it, that's the wonderful thing about the nonprofit world is everything a nonprofit does helps make the world a better place in some way and it may yeah. be a small part of the world or a big part of the world but what we do is make the world a better place by making the place where we are better so I think that's wonderful you also had shared with me two other programs I think would be important for you to share with the audience uh flare education uh because I think that's probably a good thing to talk to people about because uh, that can be dangerous. And then the National Boating Industry Safety Awards. So what are those two programs? Our FLARE education program is fairly new, and it's a way to educate boaters about the emergency flares that they would need and have to carry on their boats. If you are boating along the coast, if you're boating along a major waterway like the Mississippi River or the Great Lakes, you're required to carry flares. And yet most boaters have no clue how to use them. They don't have any clue other than the fact that you have to have a pack of them. But that pack is one of those blister packs. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever tried to open one of those blister packs on a normal day, it's like <laughs> pulling. So try doing that in a boating accident where you need to open it so that you can light those flares. Oh my and also reading the directions in the dark. <laughs> 
while the boat's having problems, it's just not a good day. So we recommend <laughs> having the package already open, having the flares already open and reading the directions beforehand. But we also have some videos showing how to use them. So mm -hmm. how to light a flare, how to use a flare gun. Um, and the fact that those flare guns are actually considered guns in some other countries. So if you are boating along the northern border with Canada, you cannot take a flare gun into Canada. It's considered a weapon. So even though it's a plastic item and it shoots a projectile that is a flare, it goes up into the air like a starburst and comes back down, it still is considered a weapon there. So that's something that a lot of boaters might not know either. But then the other side of that is those flares expire in 42 months, whether you use them or not. So you buy it and 42 months after it's manufactured, not the date you buy it, the date it's manufactured, it expires. So it's no different than going to the grocery store and trying to find that milk that's all the way in the back that has the <laughs> oldest, the latest date. So you can pull that one and you're like, yes, I get milk in my house for a whole week instead of four days. <laughs> Same idea. Oh, so there's another option called an e-flare. And an e-flare is basically like a big flashlight and it runs off the batteries. I'm not going to light it because it'll blind us, but <laughs> it blinks the SOS signal and it's 10 times brighter than a regular flare. It never expires. You just need to change the batteries out like you would change your smoke detector batteries and it runs off C-size batteries. They don't cost that much. One of them costs as much as three replacement packs of the regular flares. So if you're going to have to replace the regular flares every three years, just buy one of the e-flares. So it's better for the environment. You can dispose of it more easily. The other ones have to be incinerated, which only certain places will take incinerated, uh, take flares to incinerate. It's not something you can do on your own. Can't put them in the regular trash because they call, have cancer-causing chemicals inside of them. So go for the e-flares. I was going to say, that seems like the option to me because, and also you can take it into Canada. Well, and, and a five-year-old can operate an e-flare and you don't have to worry that they're going to get burned or that they're going to drop it onto the boat and burn the boat. It's basically a really large plastic flashlight. I love it. That's a great tip. And I, and I think, you know, people who know me know I love action movies. And if anyone's seen an action movie, you know the damage a flare gun can do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's just get the air e-flare, everybody. And then the last program you shared with me was the Boating Industry Safety Awards. And so what is that about and who do they recognize? We recognize all of our for-profit boating companies all across the spectrum. Doesn't matter if it's for paddling canoes and kayaks or power boats, but we want to recognize the ones that are doing good work at encouraging and promoting boating safety. So this could be anything from teaching a boating safety course at their dealership if they sell boats. It could be having a social media campaign specifically on a boating safety topic or topics during the summer boating season. And it could be that they're putting up certain posters or advertising on TV or advertising through social media or banner web advertising, just getting the word out that boating safety doesn't have to be a bad thing, that it can be a good thing. You can still have a safe day on the water, but still have a fun day on the water and letting others know that it's possible to do. So I think we, that's great. Uh, out every year. That's wonderful. 
So if somebody out in our audience listening uh, is interested in supporting the CETO Foundation, uh, what's the best way for them to maybe send you a donation? Sure. Our website is boatingsafety.com. Super easy to remember. Um, and you can contact us through that, or you can also make a donation if you click on the donate tab. Excellent. Love it. So if you're like me, uh, you know, full disclosure, I have made a donation. I believe in the past, I will make another one again, if I am remembering incorrectly. Uh, Yeah, it's a, it's a great group. And uh, I think it's well worth supporting. So if you're a person like me who enjoys being on the water and wants to be a responsible person, uh, just like on the road, you know, check out the CETO Foundation and give them a, give them $5 (laughs) to help them out, keep those life jackets going. So Gail, at the end of, of, uh, an episode. I like to ask my guests, what's the one thing you would like the audience to take away today? And also, could you remind us again of your website in case they want to get in touch? Sure thing. Um, Our website again is boatingsafety.com. And I'd like to remind everybody that boating is a fantastic, wonderful pastime. It can be the best days of your life. You just need to make sure that you have a little bit of education, little bit of tips, little resources so that you have a safe day on the water as well. And hope everybody has a fantastic boating season because in just a couple of weeks, it's Memorial Day, which is the unofficial or official start of the boating season, depending on where you live. You know, that, that's a good point. I, I think uh, here in the United States, Memorial Day weekend is the official launch of summer. Mm-hmm. So it is definitely the official launch of the summer boating season. So. Yeah. Well, Gail, thank you so much for joining me this week. This has been a really great conversation, highly educational, not just about what you do at CETO Foundation, but what you as a nonprofit executive do in managing resources and finding them and maintaining those relationships. So thank you so much for sharing all that. Well, thanks so much, Cecilia. I really appreciate it. And it was great to be here. Great. So, well, we have to go rogue for now. Uh, We'll be back next week for another exciting episode. So don't forget to subscribe. We're on all the major podcast services so you can find us on your favorite. If you would like to know more about Rogue Tulips Consulting and how we can help you bloom outside the box, uh, check out our website, roguetulips.com. We provide a variety of services to the nonprofit community, and we can even help you create a project. If you are a current CAE, a CAE candidate, or just a curious sort like myself, and you're interested in taking some courses or finding out more about what we offer through our education program, the 501c League has its own website because it's too big to be housed on someone else's. Uh, It's the 501cleague.net. And you can get information about our upcoming fall session and other things that you may be interested in, like our second Wednesday series. So that's all for this week. On behalf of Gail and myself, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.